appreciate his presence this morning. And I appreciate the moving of his spirit in our midst. And I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us this evening. I want you to know that I love you in the Lord. I don't have to know that you're saved. You know our Lord. You're part of the plan. You're part of my
no perfect Christian, there's no perfect church either. I often tell people, you know, that if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it and you'll win it. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian or a perfect church. Now, we all strive to do it. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 48, be therefore perfect, even if your Father in heaven is perfect. We all strive to be and we all want to be. And thank God one day we're going to be. I love what John said in his first epistle, around chapter 3. He said, Beloved, what manner of love hath God or the Father bestowed upon us? That we should be called the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see Him, here it is, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Somebody asked me one day, they said, But Mark, what are we going to be like in heaven? And when I read verses like that, and then the book of Jude, where he says he's going to present us faultless before the presence of the Father in all his glory. I often respond and tell people, well, I guess when we get to heaven, we're all going to look like a bunch of glorified 33-year-old Galileans. We're going to be just like them. But as the old song says, but well, until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on until the day. My eyes behold that city till the day the Lord calls me home. What he goes on to say, till we all come. He's talking to the church in Ephesus here, and he's talking to the home church tonight. In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, look at this, unto a perfect man, a perfect man, and that's coming one day. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it is clear to me from this verse that, that it, is, it is the will of God for His church to be whole. It is the will of God for His church to be complete. It is the will of God for His church to be mature. And I want to use the word so in your prayers tonight, just for a few moments, I want to magnify this idea of the marks of a healthy church. The marks of a healthy church. I believe the home church is a healthy church. But as I said, there is no perfect church. There's always room for improvement. And so tonight, I, I pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will delve these truths into the depths of our hearts. There's three marks I want to magnify. Let me give them to you. And then we'll go back through them. Number one, a healthy church is one that possesses the right kind of leadership. The right kind of leadership. Look at verse number 11. Notice what he says. What he's giving us here is the gifts of leadership that the Son of God gave to the local church upon His resurrection. Uh, there's some parenthetical verses here, and I want to I want to magnify them just for a moment. Look at verse uh, number 8. He says, Wherefore He said, When He ascended up on 
parts of the earth. You remember what Jesus said as the Son of Man was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so also must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. On the cross, when the thief on the right hand, we assume he was on the right hand. When he looked at the Lord and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said? Today you'll be with me in paradise. When Jesus died, he went into the heart of the earth. And what was in the heart of the earth? Sales of 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. These then some prophets. Some prophets. And can I say here, beloved, that the gift of the prophet was twofold. Number one, the gift of the prophet was to foretell the future, to foretell the future, but know this. If a prophet was truly a prophet of God, his prophecy always came true. And there are no more prophets today on the scene. There are no more prophets biblically in the biblical sense that foretell the future. Why? Because we have a more sure word of prophecy. I read the last chapter in Jesus' wings. Who's on the Lord's side tonight? I'm glad that I've been saved. By grace. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm upward down. Lord, plant my feet on time. But there's another nature of the prophetical gift, and it's the foretelling. The one who speaks with authority. Jesus did that. He was both prophet, priest, and king. And the Bible says he spoke as one that had authority and not as and I believe that the spirit of the prophet lives on in men of God today who are called of God and stand in the pulpit and authoritatively, unapologetically declare the veracity of this book. So the spirit of the prophet lives on. Then there is the evangelist, the itinerant preacher, so to speak. One who doesn't pastor, one who does not stay in one location, but moves around and preaches the gospel of Christ. He could be somewhat of a church planner, but he's not a church pastor. I believe what he's talking about here is the gift that Paul had. And it was the gift of a missionary. I believe the gift of the missionary is the gift of the so much so that when Paul was about to die as a prisoner on death row, he passed the baton to young Timothy and said this, Do the work of an evangelist. And then there's the word pastors and teachers. Notice this, if you would, with me. The word some is before apostles. The word some is before prophets. The word some is before evangelists, and the word some is before pastors, but the word some, the adjective some, is not before teachers. And the reason why is it's one of the same here. The pastor, teacher. And I'll tell you why I believe that according to First Peter chapter 5, the pastor possesses the gift or the ability to lead, that's the shepherd, and to feed, that's the teacher. He leads, he points the direction, he shows the way, and he feeds the flock of God, which God has given him the oversight. Thusly, we have the gifts of leadership. But a complete church, a whole church, is, is not only a church that is blessed with the gift of leadership, but it's Blessed, dearly beloved, with the gift of leadership. We could say that 
The second mark of a healthy church is the right kind of membership. We look at verse number 12. I want you to notice two phrases with me, if you would please. Notice that phrase in the first part of verse of the saints. And notice that phrase in the last part of the church, the body of Christ. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the membership of the church. He's talking about the flock. He's talking about the saints of God and the children of God. When God saved you, He baptized you into the fellowship of the church. And so, dear beloved, if the church is going to be healthy, it must possess the right kind of leadership. It must possess the right kind of membership. And it must possess the right kind of fellowship. Let me show you this. Verse 2 and 3. With all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Notice that phrase there, one another in love. He is talking about the interaction of the body of Christ. The fellowship of the saints, if you please. Verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Once again, he is magnifying this idea of God's people interacting, serving together, walking together. That's the theme of the book of Ephesians. And getting along, learning how to love one another and fellowship one another. There it is. Till we all come to a state of, of healthiness. And when is that going to happen? It's going to happen as we have the right kind of leadership, the right kind of membership, and the right kind of fellowship. Let me go back through that. You put some meat on that tonight, and I trust it will help us. What is the right kind of leadership? Well, I want to say, first of all, there can't be any. Not just anybody can, not just anybody can embrace the gift of leadership. It's much more than a seminary degree or a college education. It's much more, dearly beloved, than just a desire to fill that role. For a person to ascend to a place of leadership and for a person to both lead and feed the church, they must be gifted of God. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said about the office of the high priest. He said this. He said that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Where there is a gift, there is a calling. And where there is a calling, there is a gift. My dad used to tell me, he used to say, son, go to college, go to seminary, get all the education you can. But know this, much more than needing you need a temperature. You need a burden. You need a passion. You need love and you need a desire. You need the hand of God to touch you and bestow the gift of leadership. But the right kind of leadership is not only, well, let me read it here to you. Look what he says in verse 7. <coughs> every one of us is given grace. Look at this. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8 says, He ascended up on high and led captivity captive, both of the 
saints in paradise and gave gifts unto them. But know this, the lifetime of leadership is not just gifted men, but given men. For he says in verse 11, and he gave, who is he? He's the resurrected Son of God. He gave leadership to the church. Understand this, your pastor is the gift of God to this church. That's why y'all love him. That's why y'all pray for him. That's why y'all support him. That's why you ought to follow his faith. The Apostle Paul told those churches in Asia Minor, he said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Are God's being perfect? Not this side of heaven. Can you find fault? No doubt. But no this. The thing that you ought to appreciate them about above all things is the fact that when God thought of this church, he had Tim Pollock in mind. Tim Pollock was the gift of God to this area, for this church to pastor these people and lead them and guide them in ministry. But let me point this out as well. <clears throat> They're not only gifted men and given men, but the right kind of leadership is guiding.
something that's not right, the Holy Spirit is going to send an alarm off in your soul. He's going to let you know that that's not right, that that's erroneous. But oh, when the truth is preached, His Spirit is going to bear witness with your spirit, and He's going to say they mean.
church where the pastor does everything. The strongest churches are the churches where each and every member with the gift that God gives them comes together and functions within their capacity and performs that work board by board, brick by brick. And in doing so, it builds the church up. Back in 1985, my father died around 1990. My mother came to him, expressed to me that she didn't want to live by herself anymore. Me and my brother threw up some plans and we built a home and included a home for Joni and our four children and included a mother-in-law. I asked my wife, do you want to do this? Serves for my mother. When my mother's gone, it's for your mother too. I want to be fair to that. So we made the decision to go ahead and sell my mother's house, sell the home that we had, and work together to build this home. I never will forget. After the first week of they formed the foundation, they began to do the frame. They had put all the walls up, they put the rafters up, and I never will forget those days. I walked around the side of that house one night, and I leaned over the corner when they did that house. You know what I thought of? I thought of the story of the three pigs. I thought if we're not careful, big fat wolves could have come and puffed and puffed and blow our house down. <laughs> About two weeks later, brother, they had put on the Gypsum board from behind the brick. They had put the decking on. They had put some bracing in. They put hurricane clips on all the rafters. And I never will forget, I walked around that corner and leaned into it. And boy, when I did, it didn't budge an inch. It stood fast. It was strong. Why? Because that, ha- that house, the strength of that house did not depend upon one aspect of that house. But when all the members began to come together, it made that house stronger. Oh, how we need to see that tonight. Uh, there's nobody in the church that's any more important than anybody else. We don't just need the pastor. We need the people. We don't just need the, uh, the middle-aged people. We need the elderly people. And we need the young people. We need everybody within their gift and within their capacity to make their contribution and to come up and to do it. So edify, build up, allow the church to come together and take shape and form that it might be stronger. Let me give you a verse that magnifies this. Look at verse 16. Very important verse. Brothers whom the whole body <coughs> fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. What is that phrase there? Every joint supply. This matter of coming together. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, every part has its place, its responsibility. Look what it says. Make an increase that strengthens the body under the building up, the coming together, the taking form and shape of itself 
We all have one Lord, and who is He? He is the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the life. He is the life. He is the beginning. He is the end. He's the first and the last. He was He that was dead, but is alive and lives forevermore. We all have the same faith, and it's the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We all have one baptism. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whereby he baptizes us into the body of Christ. We all have one God and one Father. He's El Shaddai. He's El Elyon. He is the creator of Genesis, and he is the redeemer of the gospel. You see, dear beloved, there's one common denominator that brings us together, and it's Jesus Christ. It's eternal life. It is the gift of God. And thereby, dear beloved, it is that truth that ought to enable us to overcome our differences and love one another. Back in the 70s, when I was first saved, <coughs> in the 70s, the early 70s, 71, they called them the Jesus people, and they used to sing a song in the song that I preached. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And together and I forgot the rest of the words. But here's how Jesus said By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Such a love
Jesus and pursue Jesus. You know what will happen? Why? You're getting closer to Jesus. You get closer to one another. And if you don't, you'll go the other way. Good marriages don't just happen. They're all purpose. Husbands and wives working together, working out their differences, working out the differences of opinions, working together, learning how to love one another and think of the other one before themselves. And I say it the same way in the church. Unity must be working. You're not going to like everybody in the church, but you're commanded to love everybody in the church. There's certain people you're going to be drawn to because they share your views on other things or perhaps their life is similar to yours. And there's others that is quite different
God has worked gifts of grace in you, and the Lord is telling us here to walk worthy of that, to allow the Holy Spirit to put that in demonstration. And let me say this, and I'll be done. Fellowship is not only based on unity, it's based on diversity. I'm not talking about political correctness. I'm talking about spiritual diversity. It's amazing here, verse 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4, 5, and 6, he uses the word one, repeat, one, one, one. Then in verse number 6 and 7, he shifts that. Look what he says. One God. And Father, who? Of all. Who's above all. And through all. And in you all. Then he says in verse 7, But has mitbah to every one of us. He goes from one to all. One to every. Let me say this. Unity is all becoming one. Diversity is one being one. Being one. God doesn't want us all to be alike. He wants us all to love one another. He wants us to work together and, and He wants us to walk it out. But God doesn't want us to all be alike. That wouldn't be good for the body. God wants others to have strengths that I don't have in order, dearly beloved, to cause the church to be stronger, in order to cause the church to operate, not just in here toward one another, but toward a lost and dying world. I met my wife at Howard Anderson College in 1975. The first day I walked into that school with Dr. Robert Billings, who was the president of that school, and three other men were dressed up like an old-fashioned Indiana barbershop quartet. And I forget the song they were singing. It's something about that home in Indiana. All these students from 50 different states and four or five different foreign countries were coming in there together. I never will forget, brother, I had, I had to get to the registrar, I had to get my classes scheduled, I had to find out where I was living and uh, what dorm I was going to be living in and where that was located, but their, their song was so beautiful that it captured my attention. I stood there and listened to it. And it wasn't just a melody, it was a harmony. There was a melody, then there was Four different sounds, all blending together. It captured not only my attention, but many of those students that walked in. And it captured our attention because it was such a beautiful and melodious tone. It caused us to stop and listen. Let me tell you when the church is operating like it should be. It's operating like it should be when we realize that we're all one. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.